Welcome to MDCast by Tampa General Hospital, a go-to listening location for specialized physician-to-physician content and a valuable learning tool for world-class healthcare. When acid reflux or GERD symptoms get bad enough, surgery can be an option for relief. So today, Dr. Adham Saad joins us to talk about our options. He is the director of the USF Hernia Center at the University of South Florida. Welcome to the Tampa Generally Speaking podcast, a go-to listening location for specialized physician-to-physician content and a valuable learning tool for world-class healthcare. So doctor, talking about reflux, when should I send a patient for evaluation for anti-reflux surgery? Absolutely. And we we get this question all the time from our referring doctors. It's never a bad time to send patients for evaluation. Just because you send them to us doesn't mean that we're automatically going to choose to operate on that patient. We're really careful with how we evaluate patients. But in general, a good guide is if you have a patient with recalcitrant reflux, so somebody that's on two-plus medications, somebody that uh, you've identified that has Barrett's esophagus, or esophagitis on their endoscopy. And the other thing is we see this quite a bit in our practice is that just because people are having quote-unquote heartburn does not mean it's reflux disease. There's oftentimes when we have patients that get misdiagnosed with reflux disease and they get treated with PPIs or H2 blockers unsuccessfully. And there's a lot of doctors out there that will just stack on antacid pills to it and don't really go further with that diagnosis. So we'll see people that have been diagnosed with reflux and they get treated with medications and medications fail and they get sent for surgery when all the time they had a motility disorder that uh, is almost the exact opposite treatment. So those are really the big things. Recalcitrant GERD, if if they're on two plus medications, Barrett's, esophagitis, and, you know, when you're considering an alternative diagnosis. Okay, great. And does your group offer repair for paraesophageal hernias? Oh, yeah, 100%. That's really a, a large part of our practice. So, you know, when we're talking about reflux disease, it's, one of the, it's probably the most common in a field of surgery that's starting to be defined. And, and what we define it as is, is four gut surgeries. So it's really esophageal and stomach surgery. So a lot of times patients with reflux disease have an associated hiatal hernia. That's generally addressed the same, well, always addressed at the same time that we consider anti-reflux surgery. But parasophageals are sort of along that paradigm. So parasophageal is just a type of hiatal hernia. It's just more advanced disease in general. So there's four types and we address all of them. Again, a large part of our surgery, a large part of our practice. The thing that um, I think referring physicians tend to under-refer this stuff. So, you know, I've seen a lot of patients with big, giant parasophageal hernias, and their primary care doctor didn't send them over because they didn't think it would be repairable. So there's not a parasophageal that's too large for us. We do, you know, huge variation in size and symptoms uh, of these parasophageal hernias, sometimes with multiple organs in the chest. We are willing and able to take these on. In general, none are generally too large to fix. What we recommend with the parasophageal referrals is just plug them into us and we will follow them. Just because they have a parasophageal hernia does not necessarily mean it needs to get fixed. But if you, you know, if once they see us, they're kind of always our patients. So we will have that discussion with them and sort of continue to monitor them for change in symptoms or for increase in severity of the size of the hernia. 
Now, what about previous anti-reflux surgeries? Would that be a contraindication to revisional surgery? So, no, it's not It's not a contraindication. Um, on the contrary, in our practice, about 50 to 60% of what we do is revisional stuff. So, as a quaternary referral center, patients end up with us after they've had one, two, three anti-reflux surgeries, and they come to us to see if there's any sort of treatment alternatives for them. So, we do a ton of revisional surgery, I think, more than anybody else in the state. And what we tell referring doctors is kind of, you know, if to avoid this, just no case is too simple. So if you think somebody is a candidate for reflux surgery, if you have any questions, just send them to us up front and we can talk to them about it. Uh, you know, the only way to prevent revisions is to sort of do it right the first time. And, and the, the thing about these surgeries is you really only get two sometimes three chances to make it right because at the end of the day, and then we do this as well, if, if patients have had two or three failures um, prior and depending on the patient, sometimes the sort of end of the road operation we do is we convert them to a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass. So that's, uh, you know, that's where we disconnect the stomach and, and bring up a, a Roux limb to bypass the stomach. And that really is the best we have to offer as far as reflux surgery. It's drastic and it's prone to leaks and, and complications. So we, hey, we only do that when we have to. But the long story short is we do a ton of original work and we enjoy it. And I think we're very good at it. Well, tell us a bit more about your practice. What does it offer that's unique? Yeah, I think I think there's really two big things, okay? The, the primary one is that we practice at the USF Swallow Center, and this is truly a world-class esophageal disease center. So what it's comprised of is they have an esophageal motility lab, two gastroenterologists, and two surgeons. And through this Swallow Center, patients are able to get all their workup and oftentimes see both the gastroenterologist and the surgeon at the same visit. That way we can diagnose them correctly. A lot of times people will come to us with their workup from outside facilities. And if we feel the quality is adequate, we don't necessarily need to repeat it. But oftentimes we like our technicians to do that workup at our swallow center because we think the quality is, we can ensure the quality of those studies. The other nice thing is, is that we actually meet once a week, all four of us, along with all our trainees um, that we're training how to do this, and we discuss these cases. And so not only are our patients getting our expert opinion, but they're getting the expert opinion of our colleagues as well, all in one. So I think that's something very unique to the state of Florida. The other thing that we can offer is uh, we, we actually are one of the first of seven uh, foregut fellowships in the country. And one of four foregut slash bariatric fellowships in the country. And so that tells you, and that's out of about a, over 100 fellowships around the country. And so what that tells you is that not only do we have the expertise, but we also have the volume to teach this to people that are interested in this specialty. So I think those are really the, the unique aspects of it is not only are you getting for expert opinions, but we also have been deemed to be good enough at what, what we do to, uh, to be able to train people how to do this. Are there any risks we should know about when it comes to anti-reflux surgeries? People tend to take this a little lightly. Oh, this is just reflux. It's not cancer or anything like that. But, but what people don't realize is that, you know, when we're doing anti-reflux surgery, we're in a very small space with a lot, surrounded by a lot of very 
dangerous things. So we're working right on top of the aorta. We're working right next to the vena cava. We're sometimes working up into the chest. And so it's fraught with dangers around us. The other thing is the thing that we are most concerned about is an esophageal or a gastric injury because if we are able to recognize that intraoperatively, it's not a big deal. It's the ones that go unrecognized patients can get very, very sick, exceedingly sick, to the point where it can be life-threatening. So it's nothing to take lightly. That's why I think it's important for people to do their homework and send their patients to places that do a lot of this and are able to not only do the surgery but handle the consequences of any of these complications. What I can tell you is that we, we get a lot of transfers for patients that have had anti-reflux surgery or hiatal hernia surgery at outside facilities, and when things go wrong, this is where they send them. The other thing is there's a lot of art to foregut surgery, and so when we're doing anti-reflux procedures, we can sort of give the patient the opposite problem of reflux. In other words, instead of having reflux from the stomach up into the esophagus, they can't get anything from the esophagus down in the stomach, and we call that dysphagia. That's something that we know how to deal with and, and sort of try to prevent up front. And the last thing is, you know, when, when people have these associated hiatal hernias, hiatal hernias are difficult to fix and they're prone to recurrences. If you look at the published literature, depending on the case series and, and the location, you know, recurrence rates are anywhere from 10 to all the way up to four to mid 40 percentile. So that's pretty variable. What that tells you is that each center handles this stuff differently and then how did each study define the recurrence. But long story short, risks of it are serious. And we have a really good track record here, but it's nothing to be taken lightly. And can you identify some indications for anti-reflux surgery? Absolutely. So in general, it's a long-standing reflux disease. It's patients that have long-term PPI use and with all the uh, the bad press PPIs have gotten recently. We get a lot of patients that do not want to be on PPIs anymore. As we talked about before, the recalcitrant GERD that's resistant to treatment when their reflux and the patients become lifestyle limiting. So, you know, patients aren't able to enjoy a glass of wine or play golf, et cetera. And then Barrett's or significant esophagitis, generally grade C or above. Tell us about the appropriate workup for these surgeries. Sure. I can't stress this enough. It, it is important to to get the appropriate workup because we see several cases a year where patients don't get the appropriate workup and then getting the inappropriate workup, they get at the inappropriate surgery. So it's absolutely crucial to get pH testing, impedance versus Bravo. We generally do Bravo at our center. This is associated with the endoscopy at the same time just to ensure there's no other pathology that we're dealing with. We generally will do a barium swallow to identify their anatomy and ensure there's not a hiatal hernia there that went undetected on the endoscopy. And then very importantly is high-resolution manometry. That's an indication of how well their esophagus works. gives us an indication of their motility and whether or not they will tolerate a fundoplication or a sphincter augmentation. And as we wrap up here, what are the surgical options for reflux? Sure. So in general, when we go in to do an anti-reflux operation, it's associated with a hiatal hernia. So the first step is to get repair of the hiatal hernia. So that's generally done with a suture repair with or without mesh. That is a biologic mesh, so we do not have to deal with uh, esophageal erosion. 
and that just depends on the quality of the crural repair and the size of the hernia. Then generally, if you look in the literature, there's generally three options for treatment of reflux. One is endoscopic fundoplication, which we do not offer at our center because we do not feel that it's a durable option at this point. The other two options are surgical fundoplication, which is uh, very simply just a wrapping of the stomach around the esophagus. This is where the art of surgery comes in. It's important that the surgeon is experienced with this because this is where we get in trouble with uh, dysphagia and making the wrap too tight or too loose. So it's an art form knowing you know, what's too loose and what's too tight, and that just comes with experience. And then the other option, and we're doing, seem to be doing more of these, is what's called a magnetic sphincter augmentation, or in the market, the only one available now is called a Lynx device. This looks like a bead of metallic magnetic pearls. We put this around the esophagus right above the GE junction. What that does is stays closed at rest, and when a food bolus comes through, it opens and then closes back again. The important thing about this is that workup is done appropriately because patients have to have a normal peristalsis. They need to be able to push through that magnetic sphincter. We really like this. We think the advantage of it over fundal applications is its durability, and the downside to it is this is a foreign body. With it comes associated foreign body reactions. And there's certain things that we do to, to prevent any problems with that. But there are, there are always going to be a subset of patients that do not want a foreign body. Doctor, thank you so much for your time and for this information. Thank you for listening to MDCast by Tampa General Hospital, which is available on all major streaming services for free. To collect your CME, please click on the link in the description. For other CME opportunities, including live webinars, on-demand videos, and local events offered to you by Tampa General Hospital, please visit cme.tgh.org. And thank you. Thank you.